know, a couple of Christmases ago, Micah discovered giving. You're not in trouble this time. <laughs> she discovered giving. She discovered the joy of giving. And so, one morning we came out and we had presents under the tree. Long before, of course, our tree goes up in October. So, we had presents under the tree like October 30th, you know, from Micah. Because Micah had run to her room and she grabbed some of her best treasures and wrapped them up and put them under the tree for me and Mama and Shiloh. And so there were some that she wanted to give to us. She had, she had learned the, the joy of giving. She had learned how that works. This week, we're beginning a very short series leading up to Easter. So three Sundays long is what it is. And uh, our first series, first sermon in this series, finds Jesus in Bethany. In the home of, you know, that, that town that is the home of Lazarus and Mary and Martha. Uh, they're at a dinner, giving in Jesus' honor. And nobody at this dinner, except Jesus, knows what's going to happen in the next week. The story takes place in a few different texts, but we're only going to read one this morning. We're going to use details for other texts as we discuss it. But our text this morning is John chapter 12. In John 11... Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. So we know why he's in Bethany. He's in Bethany because he had to go to Bethany. He had to go and he had to raise Lazarus. He had to be there to, in order that his disciples would know, the people who would see would understand who he was because he knows what's coming. He knows what's going to happen next. And so we're in John chapter 12, the first eight verses this morning. And there in John chapter 12, starting in verse 1, it says, Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, the one Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha was serving them, and Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of fragrant oil, pure and expensive nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped his feet with her hair. So the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Then one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was about to betray him, said, why wasn't this fragrant oil sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He was in charge of the money bag and would steal part of what was put in it. And Jesus answered, leave her alone. She has kept it for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you and we praise you for your blessing. Father, we ask right now that you would take this time this morning. <coughs> Father, use me as a vessel and the words that I speak be yours and yours alone. Father, thank you for loving us. We ask all these things in the name of your son Jesus and for his sake and all God's people said. One of my favorite stories. Before we get into the text real far, I want to take a minute and just set the scene here. <laughs> They're in Bethany, so this is the town that Jesus knows well. I mean... We know that, that Lazarus there, and he loves him. The text in chapter 11 has told us that he loves Lazarus. He loves Mary. He loves Martha. There are people in his life who were important. And he's there in Bethany, but he's not in Lazarus' house. He's in the house of a man named Simon the leper. Now, why is that important? It's important because the only way they would be in his house is if Simon had been healed. You don't eat with a leper. 
That's just something that goes completely against the law. You don't eat with them. If he had been healed, if he had been cleansed, that happens. Now, there are two major recordings of Jesus healing lepers, and there could have, there could have been others, but one sermon on the mount, that's too far away, and one is he was traveling to Jerusalem along the border of Samaria and Galilee. Remember those ten lepers? They sent away. This could possibly be one of the ten, but we don't know. Either way, he was healed by Jesus. So you have two guests at this dinner table who have been touched by Jesus. Can you imagine the conversation that day? Can you imagine what was being said? Simon's like, man, he saved my life. Yes. I, I didn't have family because they couldn't come near me. I couldn't go to church. I couldn't hold a job. I couldn't go into town. I couldn't do anything. And everywhere I went, I had to holler, unclean, so they would get away. Because they didn't want to be unclean. So I had to make sure they knew I was coming. I was a pariah. And Jesus came and he was the first person who ever wasn't afraid to touch me. And he healed me. And he saved my life. And then I had Lazarus go, Bubba, that ain't nothing. I was dead. <laughs> I was dead. I was sitting with Moses and all those other guys, and Jesus called me back to come down here. I mean, that's the story. That's, that's kind of the atmosphere in the room because these two people had been touched by Jesus in a miraculous way. And Martha, of course, is doing as Martha does, right? She's serving. We know from reading Martha's accounts throughout the Gospels, that's what she does. And again, Mary is nowhere near the kitchen. She's not there. In fact, she's still working the scene first. I imagine Martha has a little bit of bubbling up in her again, right? She's running around. She's doing all the chores. She's scrubbing the dishes. She's doing all that she needs to do. Thinking, Mary, where are you at? You're doing this to me again. And then Mary suddenly comes in. Mary was probably in her room looking for her most precious item. Jesus is in the midst of this, and there's this awkward turn. Mary comes in, breaks the jar over his head, and washes his feet with her hair. Now, if you ever at my house for dinner, please don't wash my feet with your hair. <laughs> That's an awkward turn. I mean, can you imagine how that changed the room all of a sudden? This woman comes in and then she takes this jar and she breaks it and she does these things, but she's down there at his feet. You know, the grateful heart knows its place. The grateful heart knows its place. Mary has a grateful heart and we always find her in the same place. She's always in the same place. Martha hosts a party and she gets upset because Mary isn't working and she is. Where's Mary? At the feet of Jesus learning. Lazarus has died. Jesus has taken his time getting there. He gets there and Martha comes out there and lays into that man, right? She's like, where were you? If you would have been here, Mary, she runs out what she did. She falls at his feet. And then here, this dinner, Martha again is working. Lazarus and Simon are probably talking. And what does Mary do? She comes in and kneels at his feet. The grateful heart knows its place. And what a place to be. Think about those songs we just said. There's nothing better than him. There's nothing to be at the feet of Jesus. What better place is there? Learning, serving, 
honoring at the feet of Jesus. There is joy and comfort found at the feet of Jesus. That's why the grateful heart will be found there. The grateful heart will go to the feet of Jesus. The grateful heart gravitates toward the reason for their gratefulness. What are you gravitating towards today? What you are gravitating towards is what you are thankful for. Let that sink in for me. The things that you gravitate towards are the things that you are grateful for. If you are gravitating towards Jesus, He fills your life. What you choose to fill your life with, what do you choose to fill your life with? What or who do you find yourself thankful for or to? If you're at the feet of Jesus, you're grateful to something else. The grateful heart knows its place. But also the grateful heart holds nothing back. Mark's account of this same story tells us she broke the jar and poured it on its head. Such an important detail to me. Why? Because she broke the jar. She broke it. That meant she wasn't going to use it again. She wasn't holding anything back. There was no chance of saving the jar for later. She wasn't saying, well, let me get this was, this was almost a year's wages. If we go by what Judas says here, that's almost a year's wages. She wasn't counting the cost. She wasn't wondering, how am I going to make the bills if I do this? She wasn't trying to manipulate what she could spend and, and get away with it. She came in, she busted the jar, and she anointed Jesus. She didn't come in and say, well, let me share a little bit with you, Jesus. She didn't come in and say, well, um, just a little bit. Put the jar to the side so I can use it later. Maybe, maybe I'll refill the jar later. She didn't care what she looked like doing it. She came in and only broke and poured it out. And then we're told she wiped his feet with her hair. The broken jar isn't a coincidence because it's also a picture of who Mary is. It's a symbol of who she was at the feet of Jesus. Broken and poured out. She came in broken, offering all that she had. She didn't come in and say, I'll, I'll, I'll do anything you wish, Jesus, except for this. Jesus, I'll go wherever you want to go. Just don't send me to Asia. Just don't send me to Africa. Jesus, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Just don't send me to La Penn, Texas. Don't send me to Grace. We all have those places, right? When, and she came in and she was like, no, Jesus, I'm giving it all to you. She came in humbly. She was broken and she put herself at his feet to offer everything that she had. The grateful heart doesn't hold anything back. And they don't count the cost. Because grateful offerings are many times <laughs> extravagant offerings. Extravagant. Remember the, the little widow who had just the two mites? And for those of us looking, and we're probably going, she put two pennies in. That's nothing. But it was all she had. To her, that was extravagant. That was something big. But grateful offerings are often extravagant offerings. And extravagant offerings bring noticeable change in the lives of others. Now, why would I say that in the text? Well, the text says, so the house was filled with the fragrance of the the scent of the perfume filled the room. Literally, the atmosphere changed. It wasn't a dramatic change in the lives of others, but it was no We've all had those moments where we were sitting somewhere and someone walks by and they're wearing something that catches our nose. And it's either good or it's bad, right? I mean, let's be honest. 
You know, but the junior high boy walking by, we're probably going, oh, we're going to teach him how to, how to shout. But sometimes a woman will walk by and you'll go, what was that? And you don't know where it came from because it was just that quick. But it changed. That's what's happening here. The entire atmosphere changes. When an offering comes from a grateful heart, it will always affect the lives of others. It will affect people around you. It will bring hope in the form of a God who meets needs. That there are times where, where we watch people who give things that they don't have to give. I've, I've noticed in, in, in my life, I've come to understand the rich young ruler and what Jesus says about rich people in the kingdom of heaven. Because the most generous people that I've ever met in the world are people who don't have much. They give. They give with a grateful heart. They give and they do the things that, that God has called them to do. And when someone gives that way, it brings hope to someone who is in need. There was a time back when I was at, I was at Brownwood and we had a family come through who they had a little boy, he was about five. And they had been moving from somewhere on the West Coast and they were trying to, to, to make it to East Texas. And they had stopped somewhere in, in, in La Midland, Odessa, and they had stolen everything out of the back of the truck that night. Including the little boy's Christmas. Everything was back there. And they didn't know what they were going to do. And so, we helped them find a place to stay for the night. And then we, as, as in the church, we went out and bought. It looked like a huge Christmas. It was dollar store stuff, so it wasn't a huge Christmas, but it looked like a huge Christmas. And the next day we got to invite him over to, to my house. And these people, their world was changed because their little boy was joyous on that morning. They had thought nothing was coming, but they had something. All because a tiny group of people, 10, 10, and I don't mean the fence about it says, 10 little old ladies, that's who was in my church, who provided a Christmas for this little boy. And it changed these people's lives. Sometimes it's just joy from seeing the happiness of others. Sometimes it's a renewed faith in a God who may have seemed distant. Anybody watch World Wrestling Federation, World Wrestling Entertainment? Anybody know who The Undertaker is? The Undertaker. The Undertaker was inducted into the Hall of Fame Friday night. And during his Hall of Fame speech, I found out this out this morning. During his Hall of Fame speech, I'm going to be talking about The Undertaker otherwise. In his Hall of Fame speech, he's talking about his family and his wife, Michelle McCool, who was also a wrestler, but that's another story. He's talking about her, and he says, I think probably the greatest thing you've ever done for me is put me back into a relationship with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. What? The Undertaker. The dead man walking. The guy who, who looks like Satan incarnate in his costume back in, in, in wrestling. Gets up there and on a national stage that billions of people are going to see calls out Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Amen. This morning I'm ready to go through the roof because that's exciting. Because 
this is somebody who can have an impact in this world and it brings renewed faith. There is an excitement that we have when we see God at work. There is an excitement that goes on when we see God meet needs that, that we've never seen to meet before. Extravagant offerings bring a change in the lives of others. But extravagant offerings sometimes, or most of the time, are not understood by those with worldly worldviews. We don't get it. If we look at it with our worldly eyes, we don't get it. Kingdom economics is different. Kingdom economics doesn't work like worldly economics. They don't mix. In fact, kingdom economics many times turns the world's economic system on its head. He says, if you give, you will receive. If you're faithful, he will bless. Giving when you don't think you can usually show results in the ability to do more than you think. There are those with worldly visions, whether believers or unbelievers, will not understand extravagant offerings. In this passage, it's, it's Judas that says it. In the other one, it just says a person. But man, he looks and he says, oh, why did we not just sell this? That's worth a year's wages. Why? <laughs> he didn't get it. He didn't understand it. But that happens today as well. I've heard people say to others, you gave how much to the church? <clears throat> Why would you give someone that? You, you give 10% of your income every month? You're crazy. I've heard those things said. When your vision is on the world, you can't fathom giving in an extravagant manner. Because the world doesn't let us look at it that way. The world is... is all sorts of shades of gray, and we spend a lot of time on the what ifs, right? Well, this could happen. That could happen. This could happen. And that could happen. You stay afraid when you're living with your vision of the world that you may need it. Well, I'd really love to give this, but I may need it. I may have a flat tire tomorrow, I have to get a new tire. I may, and there's lots of bays out there. There's lots of cans. There's lots of what ifs. You worry about the ends meeting. Worldly vision results in spiritual bankruptcy. Worldly vision can't get past the fear of giving extravagantly themselves because they can't understand it in others. <laughs> well, if I couldn't do it, I don't know why you could do it. Now, what do I mean by extravagant? Extravagant, I don't mean... I just mean more than you can afford. That's what I mean by extravagant. To a billionaire, <laughs> giving a million dollars may not be extravagant. Because they got a billion. A million, probably not much. But a minimum wage worker giving 20 may be extravagant. Because they don't have as much. Extravagance is defined more by find by more than you can afford. Mary's gift was extravagant, and Judas couldn't understand. It's good rest my ground. But you know, extravagant offerings bring joy and glory to the master. That's their purpose. Jesus looks at them and says, she's preparing me for burial. These guys think they're at a party. This is a dinner party. We're throwing it to celebrate you, Jesus. Man, you, you, you healed him. You brought him back from the dead. We're getting ready to do this thing and you're going to be the Messiah and we're going to take over. 
We're ready. This is, this is a war party of people there. They're prepared for what comes next. So is Jesus, but they don't understand that. They serve a purpose. He says, she is preparing me for burial. This was a good thing that she's done. When we give extravagantly as love of the Spirit, God is glorified. Now, this doesn't mean we throw stewardship out the window. But it means we follow the Spirit's leading. Extravagant gifts bring lasting glory. In, in Matthew's version of this story, he says, from now on, whenever this story is told, people will talk about her. People will remember her. This will be a legacy for her. She will be remembered. But it's not about her glory. It's about how God used her. Because when we talk about Mary's gift, it's not, oh, Mary was a special person. It was that Mary was broken. It's that Mary recognized she was broken. And she recognized that she needed God. She recognized where she was. And she understood that. Her gift allows the gospel to be furthered. When we give as God leads, change happens. That's the purpose of our missions offerings. We have a segue there, Troy. Any Armstrong Easter offerings happen this month. And it's used to further the reach of the gospel in our land. If you want to give towards the Annie Armstrong Easter offering this month and probably some into May, remember, just put that on a little envelope. I guess I'm almost put back in the pews. And remember to put that in there because we need to put the gospel out there. People need to hear about Jesus. That's why we do these things. We do these things and we give. That's the purpose so that people can hear the gospel. Our heartfelt offerings and obedience bring glory to God and allow His kingdom to be furthered. Jesus here is full of emotion as He defends her actions. Leave her alone! That's how I see Jesus doing it. You know, everybody else wants to read Jesus. Leave her alone. No. He loves Mary. And Judas, he's saying, why would she do that? Have you ever, have you ever given a gift and somebody just makes you feel little about it? She's given. And, and, and Judas is like, why would you do that? That's not the way to give that gift. Jesus says, leave her alone. She has saved this for the day of my burial. Because you're always going to have the poor with you. But you're not always going to have me. His joy is being made complete by her act of love. You know, these types of acts bring joy to God. Isn't that our goal? Isn't that what we're supposed to be doing is bringing Joy to God, pleasing our Maker. Isn't that the goal of this whole life? I think it is. You know, in Bethany, we, we see a life that is broken and poured out in an extravagant offering of love to Jesus. In, in this text, we find an example of the lifestyle and service we should have in our relationship with Jesus. A need to be in His feet. A need to give Him all that we have and hold nothing back. A need to serve and give us the way that our lives are affected around us. But this world is confused. But we want to make sure that God is glorified. Is that your attitude today? Do you gravitate towards Jesus or something else? Are you holding something back from God? Man, it's so easy to do, right? Because we have our stuff. And I don't just mean physical things. I mean our stuff, our, our, our emotions, and our, our, our angers, and, and our hurts, and our disappointments, and our depressions, and everything else that we want to hold on to, that we want to sit here and work in this strength. Because you know what? I'm just going to hold on to this. I'm going to power through it. I'm going to muscle through it. I'm going to do what I have to do. But eventually this burns out and it's gone. 
us the power to keep going, to keep moving, to keep doing the things we're supposed to do. That's how we have to do it. That's who we need to be. Are, are people shocked by your obedience? Or is it expected? Are you living a radical life from a grateful heart that brings glory to God? Or are you traveling a path you want nobody to know of? Where are you? The story of Mary and her her brokenness. It just touches me in a spot that I don't think any other story in the Bible does. Because we all have treasures that we hold on to. We all have things that, that we have a hard time letting go of. That was Mary's. I mean, Mary was, Mary was probably keeping that for a special day. Mary was keeping that for the day she got married, right? I mean, Mary's living at home with her brother, so she's still being taken care of. She's not married yet, so she's probably saving that because that, that's probably her dowry. That's probably what she's going to use for the bride price. That's, that's how she's going to find a man. I mean, that's what it boils down to. And she's giving everything up. She says, it's okay because I am broken and I know that I'm broken. And Jesus, you have done so much for me. You've done everything. And you even brought my brother back from the dead when everyone else said it was impossible. Jesus, love me. Hold me. Let me sit at your feet. That's the desperation we have to have. That's where we have to be. Because if we get there, Jesus begins doing radical things in our lives. Maybe this morning, maybe you feel attacked. Okay, good. The Spirit's working. I don't know what else to say. Maybe you feel like I'm stepping all over your toes. Maybe I am. Maybe this morning, maybe you've, you've thought about something that you're just holding on to. There's a hurt, or there's a depression, or there's an anger, or there's something that you have not let go of, and you have made it your treasure, and you're ready to just let it go and say, okay, God, I'm giving it to you. I can't hold on to it anymore. It's yours. It's funny how certain things become our treasures. Maybe this morning you want to pray. The altar's open. I'll pray with you. Maybe you want to share the missions or ministry. Maybe you want to join this church in membership. But maybe this morning you've never known Jesus as your Savior. Maybe you've never taken a step to say, I want to know him. It's not hard. You just want to ask for the trial. I want to know Jesus. And we'll go from there to wherever you're at, whatever you need. Give it to him. Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you and we praise you for your blessings.